Live from the Goldenrod Radio Tower in beautiful Goldenrod City, it's the Pokey Bros Podcast with Richard Ballman and Henry Kathman. Hello and welcome to the Pokey Bros Show. My name is Henry Kathman and joining me is my good friend Richard Ballman. Hey Richard, how you feeling tonight? I'm feeling pretty good tonight. Oh yeah, that's good to hear because... Uh, just to lift the curtain up a little bit, viewers, uh, we did plan on recording an episode last week, uh, but unfortunately, there was a Pokemon-related interruption occurring. For some reason, the people outside of the station thought it was a good idea to have their Loudred just running amok during the recording completely made any potential footage useless and awful, and as non-professional as our audio setup might sound sometimes, we at least try to have a somewhat standard of quality established for us. To the neighbors who decided to have their loud run out of the boat, not cool. Really not cool. And on a weekday, come on, guys, it's... Don't you guys have stuff to do tomorrow? Like, really? Really? While we were on the subject talking a little earlier before the show, Richard, you said you used to have a loud red? Uh, yeah, on one of my teams back when I was uh, traveling the region. That must have been fun. Those are just uh, normal types, right? I believe so. You don't, yeah, I mean. I don't entirely remember. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. I gotta say, when thinking about Loudred, I find it weird how evolutions of Loudred feel completely detached from one another, because compared to Whismur and a Loudred, like, you could sort of see the evolutionary line with that. Mm-hmm. But then once you get to Loudred's evolution, like, Explosures, those two Pokemon look very, very dissimilar. Loudred looks more, I guess, ape-like. Slash rabbit like, whereas Explosure's more reptilian. Right, I always thought they had kind of a rabbit look to them. I mean, yes, but maybe it's because like once it reached its third evolution, it sort of like lost the ears mm-hmm. and just had like yeah, his... it does kind of have the things coming out of the back. Yeah, it's just a weird observation. All of that aside, we're very happy to be back here, and hopefully there won't be any audio interruptions occurring within here. So let's just get into these two episodes, unless you have anything else you want to talk about before starting. No, let's get right into it. All right. Once again, we're going to be looking at two episodes of the Pokemon anime today. The first episode we're going to be looking at is Showdown in Pewter City. Originally aired on April 29th, 1997 in Japan, and later on September 14th in 1998 in the USA and other PAL regions, this episode sees Ash and Misty leaving the Viridian Forest to journey towards Pewter City. What sort of challenges might they be encountering? I guess there's only one way to find out. Pewter City's a dumb name for a town. Pew pew. Pewter City. <laughs> Were you just sitting on it? That yes, I was sitting on that for okay. a solid five minutes. Alrighty then. Anyways. I mean, shoot, I should really look into the origins of Pewter City. Well, not shoot, pew. Ah, uh, boo. Alright. So, how does this episode start off? 
Well, we open actually with Jesse and James digging a hole to set a trap for our friends. The very first of many pit traps that Team Rocket is going to be laying down. And the very first of many of them that they fall in themselves. Yes! It seems like a bit of poor planning. Like, you'd think that... I mean, they did such a damn good job of covering it up. Even they couldn't find it. You gotta give them that. You do gotta give them that. I would have thought that as soon as they would have laid it down, they would have... Marked it or something. Yeah. Like, just, like, maybe, like, put, like... or something. Yeah, like, put down some leaves or something. Like, something subtle, you know? Like, clearly this isn't the first pitfall they've ever made, because... They've done it, like you said, they did a pretty good job covering it up. Damn good job. Yeah, so it is kind of interesting that even though this is the fifth episode of the series, they kind of want to make an effort to make sure that they acknowledge Team Rocket's existence while also making sure they have a very minimal presence because as soon as they fall into the hole, we don't really see them. We don't see them until like the very end of the episode. That is it. They're in the hole the whole time. Like for a solid two days, actually. Yeah. Now that I think about it. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that must have been... Like they said, they were buried alive and humiliated. Yeah, I would feel pretty bad if I was them as well. But they, as they fall into this trap, Ash and Misty catch their first glimpses of Pewter City. And they meet a strange old man who sells rocks named Flint. Yep. What a creative name. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say that for a lot of, I think the very common occurrence with a lot of these character day sort of encounters is that they don't really put a whole lot of creativity with the naming conventions applied. Oh, I build bridges all day. My name is Bridge Man. <laughs> or, oh, my gimmick is that I have a sword. So I'm the sword guy. Uh, whatever his name was, the mystery Samurai. Sword. Samurai. Uh, the less, sword douche. Yeah, the less we mention about sword douche, the better our blood pressures will be. I think that extended the episode a solid 20 minutes. Oh, it was extended by a full half hour. Oh, God. Yeah, but they do meet Flint, who is a really angsty old man. Keeps himself secluded at the edge of the city, remarking how powerful Pokemon trainers pass through here to challenge the Pokemon gym. And he sells rocks. Who's he selling rocks to and who's buying them? What are these rocks for? Well, he makes... I'm very curious about that. Well, he states that uh, Pewter City rocks are special, I guess. How? Uh, it might be just that... Super rocky. Well, depending on what you're using them for, aka like building material or for carving or something like that, they might be valuable if you work it with specific types of masonry yeah, so look like some pretty shitty rocks <laughs> they did look pretty ordinary so i do share my skepticism in the validity of selling rocks just look like one at a time like each one was labeled yeah almost as That's if they were like souven- building material yeah almost as if they were like souvenirs instead or mm-hmm. something like that i don't know maybe they were i don't know yep but Ash and Misty enter in this first big Pokemon city, and the first stop is they go to the Pokemon Center. And this is where the anime basically reveals the whole, oh, there's a Nurse Joy in, like, every city, because he goes into Pokemon Center, and there's Nurse Joy, and he's like, Nurse Joy? What the heck? Inception. 
Yeah, it, and she's like, oh, that's my sister or something that lives there, and this trope, I think, continues for, like, the rest of the anime. Literally, there is not a single Pokemon Center that doesn't have a Nurse Joy. Literally, all the Nurse Joys, I'm assuming they share a last name, that's why they're called Nurse Joy. Yeah. They never give their first names, though, but it makes me well, call- Well, that's none of his damn business. I guess so, that's a pretty She's fit. at work. If so there's I don't anything- think they give their first name, not their last name, not their damn business. Yeah, that's true. Just take it from us, people. If you meet anyone working their job in any sort of service industry... Don't ask them personal information about themselves, because that's none of your damn business. Exactly. They're at work. They're basically captive by you at the moment. Yeah. Also, just the fucking advice for any guys, never ask a girl out while they're at work. Yeah, yeah. That's the, like the douchiest thing you can do. They have to be nice to you, idiot. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be very surprisingly apt advice to give to a certain character, but we'll get to that in a bit. Anyway, while they're at the Pokemon Center, they see a special poster uh, that is adorned with the various elemental symbols that were traditionally seen in the Pokemon trading card game. Did you notice how those are similar? I did not. Okay, (laughs) well, I mean, they had the same shapes of the fire type, water, electric, and all that sort of stuff. And they were advertising the regional championships. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I did notice that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. They were advertising the regional Pokemon championships. This is where they point out that if you want to compete in the regional championships, you have to have eight gym badges from various Pokemon gyms throughout the Kanto region. And this is, again, sort of doing that basic setup for the mechanics you can expect from a game, explaining the premise of earning Pokemon gym badges as a sense of progression and stuff. Thinking back on this, as someone who watched the anime first and experienced the games afterwards, I do ponder how easily some kids might have been able to grasp some of these uh, mechanics like gym badges and stuff like that. I feel like they don't explain that very well in the original games. Unlike future games, they sort of make a big whole show and dance where as soon as you step into a town, they kind of introduce you to the gym leader and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas in like the first couple of games, you'll just stumble upon a gym and they'll tell you like, oh, there are eight of these and... Go find them all, bitch. I mean, they do kind of lock progression behind the HMs, which you can only learn by arbitrarily having a Pokemon gym badge, but... Don't remind me about HMs. Oh, those yeah. Are, those are dead for good, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Or it is place. interesting to think about, but Ash and Misty discuss the prospect of winning gym badges while they're eating at a more diner area of the Pokemon Center. Where are getting their money? <laughs> I mean, in the games, at least, you earn money by winning Pokemon battles so my my personal headcanon is that i hope at the end of their whole viridian forest Mm. adventure samurai paid them the standard fee of Mm. losing a pokemon battle to them the parents gave them a little bit good amount of money too since they're sending 10 year old kids off on their own oh i'm sure delilah ketchum raised dash to be pretty responsible and probably gave him a little something something Or it might have been, like we said before in previous episodes, this is sort of the equivalent of kids taking a year off of school in order to take their Pokemon journey. So perhaps the way that uh, a lot of parents fund this is, I know that in the case of Japan, that a lot of schools, especially higher tier schools, can be 
pretty expensive. So perhaps taking a year off of school might be cheaper. It might be cheaper. Yeah, so like money that parents would have had to spend on taking having them go to school for a year, the money that would have went into that might just go into their Pokemon journey. Oh. I don't know, that just might be one way to explain that sort of thing. But yeah. uh, it's a good thing Ash has been giving money because uh, Misty gets yeah. sort of rightfully mad at Ash. He says something stupid. I don't remember what. Well, she said, Misty helpfully suggests that, oh, if you need help earning badges, I can help you out beating Brock. Yeah. And Asage is like, what sort of help do I need help? Like, you, the clearly superior trainer at the moment. Yeah, I, I mean, sure. based on the stuff that we've seen of Misty so far, she really hasn't done a whole lot to prove her battle expertise. It might have been the writers trying to pull a misdirection about that sort of stuff. But then again, it feels pretty in character for Ash, at least in these early stages, to be sort of underestimated of Kind of dismissive of her. Yeah, exactly. So she storms off and he's like, wait, you can't leave me with the bill, but yo, yes she can. Oh yeah, she can, Ash, come on. Because she did. Yeah. She did. Good on you, Missy, because don't... Kind of a dick move, but also he kind of deserved it. Yeah, he did kind of deserve it. But it is actually kind of interesting that they let Misty storm off like that because at least for most of the series, we rarely get to see a lot of like Ash solo adventures. Like it's usually Ash doing stuff with his other traveling companions, which there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like I think the banter and dialogue that comes out of those sort of things is pretty interesting. But I do think that there is something that is lost when we sometimes allow Ash to be by himself and having these sort of solo adventures. And I think this is a pretty good way of going about that. But Ash heads off to the gym. Yep, Ash heads off to the Pewter City Gym, which, as soon as Ash steps in, we meet Brock, also being a bit of an angsty ass, as he's sitting in the dark, uh, surrounded by these torches as he waits patiently for a new competitor. He's also 15 years old, so we can understand why he's a little edgy. There is a lot. So we've for... all been 15. Yeah. We know we... what that's like. Mm-hmm. I've been the same way. But uh, when Ash steps in, Brock asks him how many Pokemon he has and how long he's had his Pikachu. To which Ash replies, about two weeks, which indicates that Ash has been on this Pokemon journey uh, for about two weeks. And it's based on how long it took Ash and Misty to theoretically get through the Viridian Forest. It does indicate that they might have been in there for about a week based on how long it took Metapod to evolve. But in terms of chronology and actually discerning a concrete timeline, that can be sometimes a moot point. But regardless, Brock says that because it's his first gym battle, they're only going to be using two Pokemon. Which find very interesting. It seems like he's, he both says that as a gym leader, he has to accept every challenge, like no matter what, no matter how many Pokemon there are. So I don't know if he's required to only use two Pokemon because he only has two Pokemon or if he's doing it just out of like an act of kindness. I think it's theoretically because this is his first gym badge. And I think that there are certain regulations and rules that go into uh, how many Pokemon a gym leader can use depending on how many gym badges they have. Like, I just, I just think it'd be really interesting just get off topic and talk about the games. Yeah. If for like the next 
for like the games if instead if the Pokemon gym leader only has like three Pokemon if the game would then make you choose only three of your Pokemon to use. Yeah, I think those sort of limitations would be a lot more interesting to use. I know that's or, the anime, but then it's something that I thought about watching that. It would be a lot cooler and maybe add some more, a little bit of extra difficulty, at least, to the game. Yeah, especially if you can get a gym leader that uses, like, extremely difficult typing. Or... How cool would it be if they did that for, like, the next Pokemon that's coming out for the Switch, <laughs> and then you, like, got to beat the Elite Four, and then you go to the champion, and the champion pulls out just one Pokeball. Huh. How awesome would that, that be? That would be... I would be floored. Goodness, that I, would have to be like a super powerful Pokemon. It'd but that be would like be... maxed out. It'd be like a level 100 Mewtwo or something. Oh, jeez. That'd be awesome. That would be pretty cool. I just thought of that. Although, I would love that. Although, they would have to make it so that like every time you faced it, it would have to be like a different Pokemon. Just... Oh, so you can never type advantage. That'd be yeah. awesome. Yeah. You would literally that. be randomly choosing and being like, okay... Okay, no, I don't have an advantage, and neither is he. is a fair fight, and he's well, like it would maxed Well, it would incentivize that you make sure your Pokemon are as powerful as possible in yes. order to get to there. And I would go with a normal-type Pokemon, just in case. Yeah, oh my gosh, that would make normal-types potentially competitively viable. Hey, that one's... <laughs> Nintendo, that one's free. You're welcome. Yeah. Another interesting factor that the potential number of Pokemon that they use in the gyms brings up, with Brock saying that this is his first gym so he uses only two, it makes me wonder, like, why uh, future Pokemon games couldn't adopt a more unlinear structure. So, what if you, when you were starting a new Pokemon game, you could choose a number of towns. It doesn't have to be every single town in the Pokemon region that you can that you can start off from. But like, if be you different were paths. yeah, exactly. Or if you could if you could tackle gym leaders in a different order, depending on how many Pokemon badges you have in your possession, it might change the difficulty of that gym. They this is sort of interestingly something that I'm thought of back when I think of. Gen 1 games. In the first generation of the Pokemon games, you have actually a lot of opportunities to sort of utilize some sequence breaking in order to take advantage of the gym order. Once you get into Lavender Town, there really isn't anything incentivizing you to go up into the Pokemon Tower and to get the Silph Scope or anything like that, nor is there anything that is incentivizing you to uh, get the hot tea, which opens up Saffron City. Not only are you able to theoretically skip Celadon City, Fuchsia City, and Saffron City, as long as you're able to defeat Koga, learn Surf by getting the HM from the Safari Zone, uh, you could theoretically skip a lot of gym progress by going directly to the Cinnabar Islands to face off Blaine. To which afterwards you could go and face off in Celadon City or Saffron City. Which, for many trainers, might actually be a viable strategy because Sabrina sometimes turns out to be a lot more difficult of a Pokemon gym compared to Blaine. Because with Blaine, it's fire types. And sure, he has some weird type advantages in some areas, but. If you have at least one water Pokemon, which you theoretically have to have if you're going to be surfing over there anyway, like, it turns out to be a lot more of an easy Pokemon battle. That just makes me think that 
it would be more interesting if Game Freak could theoretically use a more unlinear Pokemon structure in terms of how you tackle these gyms. If they do so, that might incentivize players to be a little more customized in terms of what Pokemon they get, and it might make their experiences feel a bit more whole yeah, and unique. It, it's interesting as a conversation topic, this is, I feel like we should get back on Yeah, that's topic. true, thank you for <laughs> but... So the gym leader has to accept every battle. Yeah, uh, and, and Brock is the, very reluctant about this. Yes, he doesn't really want to battle him. Seems like he doesn't. He knows he's gonna win. He doesn't want to hurt his Pokemon. Although he doesn't want to hurt his Pokemon, but then before the battle starts, the rocks start sliding in from the sides and almost crushed ten-year-old Ash to death. Oh yeah! And he had to run out of it. He's like, oh shit! Yeah, like, like he if he was. Like, a bit slower, if he was a bit chunkier, he'd be dead. <laughs> like, crushed God by damn. the... I mean, don't get me wrong, it's cool that you could make your battlefield appear. But you almost killed a kid. Also, why don't... You're 15, so I get you wouldn't be tried as an adult, but fuck. Also, is it really that necessary to make, like, the rocky terrain appear no why it isn't that's edgelord shit like, you know why he wanted that to happen. yeah why can't he just like have that permanently out there like he could have 100 done that but he was like no nah, i wanted to slide in and be all cool <laughs> and edgy and now i'm gonna sit in the dark with torches lit by me because he's 15 uh, and he almost killed a child yeah you oh, think someone responsible for a bunch of children would be a little more responsible than that but Nope, he almost killed a child. Mm-hmm. But regardless, we'll he begins his Pokemon battle. And the first Pokemon that Brock sends out is his Onyx. And Onyx. Did you ever have that special Pokedex toy? Yes, I have it in my room. I know where it is. If I went home for like the weekend, I could go get it. You I should go get it. Yeah, you I should go. I should check and make sure it still works, but I do have one, yes. Yeah. I remember when I had one of those. I love it. For some reason, they had a weird rating system in the Pokedex that rated the power level of each Pokemon, where weaker Pokemon like Rattata and Magikarp would have like ones, whereas the more powerful they got, like Charizard, Blastoise, and stuff like that, they would get like sevens and eight. But oddly enough, the only ten in the entire original Tiger Electronics issue of the Pokedex, Onyx was rated a 10. Over like everything else? Yes! This should be more powerful Pokemon than him. Yeah! I mean, I Guess what rating you two had? Nine? Seven! Seven! I know! I get it, Onyx is cool, he's a giant rock serpent, but fucking Mewtwo's stronger than Onyx, I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly! It makes me call into question like what sort of rating system they had in mind. Maybe but... the person who authorized that was a big Onyx fan. who's <laughs> just like, nope, Onyx is the best. I mean, there is some merit to that because Onyx is a very intimidating Pokemon. Oh yeah, that's scary as shit it's... if you ever ran into one. Oh yeah. Nope. Props to Ash, I guess, for maintaining his bravery I mean, and sending he sends, Pikachu. He sends Pikachu out, who immediately pusses out and is like, no, no, no. And then he's like, Pikachu, get back in there. And Pikachu's like, ow. It's a giant rock serpent, dude. I'm like a foot tall. Yeah. I'm I an mean, electric mouse. If there's something that Pikachu has demonstrated, is that... 
Uh, Pikachu has She's a realistic. That's true. Pikachu is pretty realistic. I gotta say, I, I just love the way that Pikachu just like nervously waddles back onto the battlefield after. Yeah, because it's a giant rock He's serpent terrible. that's going to destroy him in one swing. Yeah, it's a goddamn dinosaur-sized man. But the battle begins with a devastating tackle attack as Onyx crashes into the ground as Pikachu jumps out of the way in the nick of time. Mm -hmm. And then Onyx unleashes his second deadly attack. Bind! As he wraps around Pikachu and... Constrictor style because he's a goddamn serpent mm -hmm. made of rocks. Starts yeah. crushing him to death. I always saw Onyx as more... Have you ever seen the film Tremors? No, I haven't actually watched that. I've heard of it. Okay, or Dune. Have you ever read the Dune? Well, in both of those no, stories, no, they are did, centered around these giant back. earth worms that, uh, like, basically are these giant consuming worms. That's that, kind of what Onyx is, just made pretty out much. of rock. I mean, Except more serpent made of rock. He's just a giant snake made of rocks. Yeah, exactly. Pikachu, while being bound up by him, tries to thundershock him, but it, unfortunately, has no effect. As Does he say that? I think he just says the Pikachu's not strong enough to hurt him. No, I'm pretty sure they illustrate that. Uh, I thought that they were supposed I don't think so, because later in the episode, Pikachu gets stronger. That's and true. It does affect them. Like, it's not resistant. I know you can hurt a rock type with electric, I'm fairly certain. I'm thinking of ground types. Yes, and Onyx is. is a cross is. between a rock and a ground type. Is he rock ground, or is he just rock? I think in some generations he's rock ground. All right, it changed the generation. Yeah. It's a so tad inconsistent. Sure. Well, no no one's worse than Charizard with that. I'm, oh, I don't know. Gyarados kind of got the short end of a stick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Charizard and Gyarados. Jesus. Like, <laughs> just, is he flying fire or is he dragon fire? Or flying dragon? Make up your goddamn mind game, freak. Yeah, I feel like dragon types can be overpowered. Okay, we're, we're getting up. Well, we have the fairy types now. So. Yeah. And then you can counter fairy types with heavy slam, which is well, the best move. Yeah, that's true. Gosh, with it in the case of a Gyarados or yeah, especially now, a Gyarados. if there's ever a giant fairy type, I'm scared of that. I don't know if there is. It would have to be real big too. God, I'm just picturing the potential typing for that. That would be so cool. I'm just picturing like this giant, like cutesy-looking Pokemon, but it is kind of terrifying. Picturing a giant fat fairy. I kind of love it. <laughs> Yeah. That would be horrifying. I couldn't counter it with Heavy Slam <laughs> anymore. I'm mean, no. All my strategy's gone. <laughs> well, is that... That's my well, go-to strategy. Heavy well, Slam. Well, now if you ever face Richard in a Pokemon battle, you know his winner. You better heavy take slam. some big Pokemon or you're dead. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Well, unfortunately, in the case of Ash Ketchum, Pikachu is not a very big Pokemon. See, I would destroy it. <laughs> yeah. His Pokemon are tiny. Well... Right now. At, right now, because we'll see how that changes later. But unfortunately, Ash seems to be pushed to the brink as Onyx slowly constricts more and more, increasing the pressure bit by bit until Ash can take no more. He says, hey, don't fucking kill my Pokemon. I give up. Goddamn. Yeah. And Brock's like, oh, all right, fine. I gotta say... 
It's interesting to see the idea of conceding a Pokemon battle. Because that's never yeah. something they allow people to do in a game. Yeah, no, if you're in a Pokemon battle with a gym leader, you play it to the end. You can't run away. Which kind of sucks. Like, I feel like for especially younger players who might not, who might have bitten off more than they could chew. <laughs> I certainly remember when I was younger, the prospect of level grinding so that I was strong enough to fight in gyms. It really stuck. Yeah, it didn't stick as well. I mean, I was able to eventually do so, but it was always a difficult process for me. So whenever I was younger, the prospect of fighting a gym, it always sort of sucked that I was never able to, like, realize... Once I immediately realized, oh, this is way too strong for me, I'm not going to win this, it sort of sucks that there wasn't, like an immediate forfeit option, aside from just turning the games off, which always felt a bit cheap to me, but... But Ash concedes defeat, and he feels pretty bad that he pushed his Pikachu to the limit, and as he leaves... Kind of moping outside, and then uh, Flint, the weird old man, is like, hey, small child, follow me. And Ash is like, okay, strange old man, I'll follow you into the night. And he does just that. Ash is not a role model. <laughs> I feel like there are a lot of practical pieces of advice that Ash would be remiss to follow, but yeah, whatevs. No. But Flint demonstrates that... Uh, well, first he shows him uh, that Brock has a family. Yep, he's well... Like, Here's he... why he's uh, not doing anything more than being a local gym leader. He said he could do so much more than that, but I feel like being a local gym leader is pretty up there like your star of the town like i feel like that's a lot especially for a 15 year old actually not, not to awesome not actually. to not to well actually people even though that's um, kind of actually what, yeah uh, i'm actually i i try my best to <laughs> not do that as much well no if i'm wrong correct me fair enough but there's an interesting story behind this so uh we mentioned before that the original novelization written by takeshi shudo leaves a lot of extra details surrounding the Pokemon world. And one of those details talks about how the life of a gym leader is a lot less glamorous than what one would usually expect. You mean Acor you don't get all the bitches? No. <laughs> no, in fact, you don't. In fact, uh, according to the oh, novelization, no. gym leaders do not make a lot of money. They generally have to spend most of their time just battling weak trainers and not getting to do a whole lot with their personal time. Like and they kind job. of... It's sort of like one of those thankless jobs that not a lot of people end up taking on. Like, you end up being a gym leader if Pokemon battling turns out to be... Like, you end up being sort of good at being a Pokemon battler, but not, like, champion levels. It's sort of like the equivalent of becoming a coach hmm. to a sports team rather than being an all-star player. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does kind of make sense. I mean, clearly some coaches make more money than others and some coaches yes. have more pedigree than others. But at least in the case of Pokemon gym leaders, some Pokemon gym leaders have a lot higher uh, pedigree behind them. And in the case of Brock, he is definitely on the lower rung of the ladder. Still, seems like an easy way to make a buck. Yeah, it seems like a pretty easy job and something that someone in Desperate Stripes would 
probably gravitate towards. Which makes sense towards Brock because... Especially for a 15-year-old. I still feel like a 15-year-old doing it. A 15-year-old football coach for a high school team? A kid knows what he's doing. True. It does, and it does demonstrate that Brock does seem to have a pretty integral understanding on how Pokemon work and how battling and racing Pokemon seem to... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish there was a better way to explain it. It seems that Brock has a pretty good understanding on how to race and battle Pokemon. Yeah, no. I see what you mean. That's interesting. That's not something I knew. Yeah, but sure. it's important that Brock does have a stable form of living because... Because he's got, like, I don't know, how many siblings do you have? Because he's got about <laughs> a little more than that, maybe. He does have more that's... siblings than me. Because so... you got, like, eight, right? I do have eight siblings. Yeah, Jesus. I have, like, one and a half. Four, I have four brothers and four sisters. Yeah, we have very different upbringings. Very different, <laughs> indeed. But, Gosh. uh, Flint shows... How many does Flint has, like, 14? Okay. Can I just stop and say for a second... Flint takes Ash to the periphery of Brock's home so that they can yeah. look inside and stalk like him. Ghost of Christmas past style. Look in this guy's window. Look at all these kids. Yeah, like, They're not even his kids. They're just his brothers and sisters. Like, He's just the oldest. What the hell? Like, hey, shit dad left forever ago. Which yeah. is ironic. We'll find out why later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but yeah, we see Brock... Uh, helping out his siblings, especially oh, his window. especially his younger sibling. He's like, I tore my dress, and and Rock is like, Okay, I'll I'll sew yeah, it up. For it looks you. like a mother at first, and it turns because he's wearing like a full on apron and a headscarf and stuff, and he turns around and it's Brock. Yep, wearing a little bit. I do appreciate. Okay, I do appreciate the fact that no one really ever seems to disparage Brock for taking on more traditionally feminine roles. Yeah, well, that's, that's badass of Brock. He's fucking like, all right, my, my mom's dead. My dad's a piece of shit. I'm going to fucking take care of my siblings. Yeah. I'm going to be their dad. I'm going to be their mom. I'm going to do it both. Yeah. Bring home money, pay for how many kids? Ten. Ten. And he's basically doing this job. That apparently doesn't pay very well, and he's feeding all of them, and probably like helping them with schoolwork and all their mm-hmm. other stuff too. Yeah, like, he's a goddamn superhero mm-hmm. in this goddamn show, and I feel like he deserves more respect later in the series that he does not get. Yeah, I will say that Brock, but is... also it's kind of like because he's finally not taking care of his not taking care of kids anymore later in the series, he's finally getting to be a kid. Maybe. That might explain so act- some of his more juvenile aspects. He acts a lot more childish, even though he's the oldest one in the group, and he kind of acts like the youngest one sometimes. Yeah, yeah. As you can probably discern, listener, Brock is definitely one of the better characters. I'm on the Brock series. fan train. Mm-hmm. Brock and James. Brock and James? Brock and James are the best. Yeah, I do, I, there are, are certainly a lot of amicable qualities within Brock. I especially... And James, they both have a lot of qualities. <laughs> Some of the best characters. Yeah, we'll definitely get into James, but at least in Brock's case, I... I haven't seen any of it yet from James, but trust me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, I know. As you said, uh, Flint explains that Brock's 
good for nothing father just left to be a Pokemon trainer, just abandoned the family as being a piece of garbage. Also explains that his mother passed away, which is really sad. Is pretty sad. Like, and oh. it is one of those rare mentions of death in the Pokemon world where yeah. they don't really acknowledge that people pass away in this show, which is probably for the best. Like, it's not something... They really don't mention, like, Pokemon. No. As well, which they do a lot more in the games, actually. Yeah, there's always there's at least... like, I know in Pokemon X and Y, there's a Pokemon graveyard. I mean, there's a po- I mean, pretty much every region has and at least some... you fucking battle people there. It's really messed up if you I think mean, about it, because you just go there and, like, I know you're mourning over your Pokemon, but Pokemon battle! I mean, in Pokemon... Okay, in Generation 1, there's Lavender Town, which has the Pokemon Tower. Uh, in yeah. Generation... Two, the Bellsprout Tower in Violet City, I believe. That isn't explicitly a Pokemon graveyard, but rather it's a place to just be a lot more spiritual. It's very modeled after apologies if I'm mincing religious beliefs and stuff. It seems to model itself after traditional Buddhist temple believings and stuff like that. And... Uh, Generation 3, there's Mount Pyre, which is also a Pokemon graveyard. Let's not forget about Gen 1's Ratatata theory. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> I know what that is. Oh, yes, I know. The theory that... Killed it. You killed his... <laughs> killed his Ratatata. I don't know. I feel like it's a lot more appropriate for Gary's... Was it Eradicate at that time? I feel like it's more appropriate for Gary's characterization that after that battle, he realized... Oh, this Raticate is weak sauce. I'm gonna switch it out. Yeah. Yeah, that does make a lot more sense. But Sorry, I, Raticate. I like Smell the you later. I like the theory, though. I mean, it makes sense. It's an alright one. They established death in it, so why not? I suppose so, and it would explain why he was in the Pokemon graveyard, so mm-hmm. you never know. In terms of dark death-related Pokemon theories... That's one of the more palatable ones. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we've been going on a lot of tangents in this one. Yeah, remember how we wanted to make this a quicker one? Eh, that's happen. just sometimes how it goes. But I, I gotta say, props to Ash. After hearing this sad story about Brock, he he talks about how he doesn't really want to battle him again. He still <laughs> wants to, because... On one hand, he is able to empathize with Brock in his situation, and he... Like, oh, I don't want to beat him now, and you're just kind of sitting there like, oh, Ash, you suck. Well, okay. That's cute. I think... He hadn't been trained yet at this point, so he's just literally going off his own ego. Mm. After he just lost, he's like, well, I don't want to beat him now. I was like, stop making excuses for yourself. I don't... I feel like it's not so much making excuses as it is... Like, keep in mind, Ash is still emotionally developing and is still thinking of himself as sort of the center of the universe, as most 10-year-olds are apt to do. I think learning to empathize with others is a pretty important stage of child development, and I think it's one of those stages that Ash is going to continually go through during the series. But yeah, I do think it is a little uh, presumptuous of him to say like, oh, I'm totally going to beat him next time. But uh, Flint has an idea to help Pikachu out, which is basically Pokemon steroids. (laughs) So Ash is like, yeah, let's give Pikachu some Pokemon steroids. And they go to a fucking 
Um, what is it? A power generator. Power generator, yeah. A hydraulic power generator, which, interestingly enough, is modeled with wood, which I'm not exactly, I'm not an electrical engineer, but most of the time I was under the impression that hydraulic plants that use to generate electricity from water currents, most of those tend to be made out of more solid materials than wood. And no, based- I think you can have them out of wood. You could, but based off of like That's the fact lot. that there's like a hole in this ceiling and this appears to be pretty old equipment, it yeah. seems like maybe this isn't like the best. It's not super up to date because this is like old stuff and they clearly have like power lines and shit now, so it's yeah. abandoned. So maybe it is kind of a good place for them to take a Pokemon, especially since it's basically Pokemon steroids and maybe I'm not sure what the laws are. But I don't know how legal what they're about to do is. Yeah, I also wonder... they're juicing. I mean... Pikachu up, he's juicing. I mean, I don't games. even know if I would consider it juicing, because in later episodes of the series, they do sort of explore the nature of Pikachu being an electric mass and how his relationship with electricity might affect its battle capabilities. And in some very, very future cases, if Pikachu has too much electricity, Pikachu could literally explode. That's like a drug overdose. Exactly. So oh, God! So juicing! Dang it! Gotcha! Uh, <laughs> kids, don't do drugs. Do not, unless you're Pikachu and you're trying to beat Onyx. Or, if, even if there are any Pikachus listening, don't do drugs! <laughs> but anyway, so Pikachu does some drugs. <laughs> okay. Well, rather, they hook him up to an electrical machine, and Flint remarks that the river is dry, so Ash has to walk on the water wheel. Sure, that's super safe for a 10-year-old kid. No. Sure, that won't hurt him or break any bones in his body if he slips. I gotta say, I'm kind of surprised at the restraint the showrunners had, because it would have been so easy for Ash to do a Whoa, I'm slipping. Oh, oh I'm, I'm spinning around on the water wheel. Yeah, Jane, get that. me off this crazy thing. Props to them for not using that sort of animation cliche, because that would have been... They wanted to be a more dramatic, intense, rocky training moment. Mm-hmm, yeah. A, 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 an intense training moment that is sort of undercut by the fact that Misty just randomly walks up being like, yeah. Hey, Ash! Maybe instead of doing this stupid plan, you should let me help you. Mm-hmm. Which, I'm of two minds of this. On one hand, yeah, this is a bit of a weird plan. A, you're listening to random strangers to power up your Pikachu, and B, you shouldn't underestimate Misty, because she clearly wants to help you out, and Ash she also- wants to be able to do this on his own. Yeah. He wants this to be his victory, not his and Misty's victory. Which seems, on one hand, it seems to mark Ash's more selfish side, but on the other hand, it also seems to mark out his more confident side and his desire to prove himself. Like we discussed in earlier episodes, Pope Ash is a very self-critical person, and he always seems to have that motivation to try and improve himself because he wants to show that he himself is able to do a good job, which in some cases proves to be pretty useful, in other cases kind of leads to his own detriment, which 
I think is a pretty interesting trait within Ash. But it also shows at least Misty walks away saying saying to herself anyways that it'd be a lot easier if you use some of mine, referring to like how she kinda wanted to let him use some of her Pokemon in order to beat Brock. Yeah. And it kind of also establishes I think the show writers trying to show people that uh Misty does actually care about Ash. Yeah. She just doesn't really want to admit it to his face. Yeah, because I feel like Ash would have been, at least at this stage, would have been super smug and, or, ew, girls! (laughs) He is 10. He is 10, and he's got a long way to go, but... Well, he's still gonna be 10. Though, another weird thing, though, it does seem weird for Misty to show up now, because from what we can tell, this plan seems to be working. Like, Pikachu seems to be getting more powerful, and Pikachu does seem to be getting a bit of a power boost. Yeah, and they practically explode the building, it looks like. Yeah, that is a weird aspect to this, because It's a good Ash- thing it's abandoned. Mm-hmm. I hope it's abandoned. And they're not like, well, time to come clock back in to work. Oh, what the? <laughs> My... My windmill or watermill. Yeah. It does seem Some... from what Flint demonstrated, the river is dry, so it, it might have implicated that uh this has been long abandoned ever since the Pure City yeah, I would River hope so. dried up. But Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like there was water in the river when he said that. There was, but it was really shallow. But that's not dried up. <laughs> Fair enough. I was kinda of like, uh no it's not. When I was watching. I, it might have been a translation error or something maybe, like that. Maybe he meant it was low. Or maybe that's just like, I don't know, an old-timey reference to like, oh, we can't use it because of how shallow it is, so we just say it's all dried up, even though there's a little bit of water left. I don't know. But right. I feel like if you put your hand in there, it'd be wet. Cause there's water. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not completely dry, but it's... Dried out usually means that it's well below the water level that the river is usually expected to have. I think that's what they usually mean by dried up. I will say though, yeah, they do blow up this hydraulic electric area, which, I'm sorry, Ash, I hope you paid for that, because this is a potential sustainable source of electricity and power for the people of Pewter City, and you destroyed it! It's probably abandoned. They're not using it anymore. The river's all dried up, so... Yes, but maybe the reason why it's abandoned is because it it was used as, like, perhaps an emergency contingency. So what if Peter City was flooding, they could use the electricity generated by the flood. Go get some Pikachus. That's true. I do think that, yeah, potential green alternative energies does kind of go out the window once you, you think have about electric the, Pokemon. Yeah, Pokemon that can literally produce energy for without power. using with and Just, the most all you gotta energy do is you need feed to, them. Yeah, exactly. Like why even have that anyway? Maybe that's why it's like abandoned. It's like, oh, we don't need this anymore. This is old school. We have we figured out we've tamed Pokemon. We can get them to provide us power. Yeah. That makes sense. Alright, with all that said. Cut to the next gym battle. Mm-hmm. Basically, he goes back to challenge Brock once again. Yep. And Ash, for some reason, sends out Pidgeotto to fight yeah. off against a Geodude. Well, you can't send the champion out first. That's true. And Caterpie's 
fucking. He's, I mean, it's he, a butter. Well, he hasn't evolved into Butterfree yet. Has yeah, he? he has. Oh yeah, yeah, he has. Butterfree would have been totally viable. Uh, yeah. I mean, Bug isn't necessarily effective against. It's not weak to it. That's true, and also that sleep powder attack. A sleep powder that, by the way, is powerful enough to take out an entire hive of Beedrill. Could probably take out on it. You might not yeah. even need a Pikachu. Why didn't you use it at first? Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it. Fuck you, Ash. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but God damn it! <laughs> this whole episode could have been avoided. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get the sense that it was also. A matter How dare of... you entertain us? No. Yeah. Well, then again, Butterfree is also a flying type. It's a bug flying type. So. Oh well, if it's first. That means his flying type is secondary, so I don't think it would be weak to the rock. Mm. It's got I think it's gotta be its primary type would be weak to it. Flying okay. just means if he, he has access to flying moves that would be strong against something if it was weak to flying. Okay, I'll take your word for it. I think I could I be wrong, but we might have to do a bit of research I'm on Fairly Pokemon certain typing. that's how that works. But at least in the case of Pidgeotto, Once again this episode demonstrates that a standard tutorial where they demonstrate type weaknesses and differences. This time, they show that uh, rock is effective against bird types, which, I mean... Two birds, is... one stone. Exactly. There's the saying of two birds, one stone. Help you remember, rocks. So bad for birds. I could almost see, honestly, Ash's confusion on this, because he might have thought Geodude was a fighting type. And it would have been completely reversed as fighting weak against flying there. Because Geodude, he is a circle with two big fists. Yeah, I would have... Maybe he doesn't know the Titans all that well and would just assume based on his appearance. And he just kind of got dicked over. I feel like the show would have done well to perhaps demonstrate a little bit more of these type weaknesses and differences. Because... I think the sooner they get that out of the way, the more streamlined a lot of these episodes are. But then again, it is pretty naturally integrated, and you don't have to... It doesn't feel too unnatural to hear them demonstrating that, because Brock is sort of presenting it in that lens of, Foolish trainer, you use a yeah. bird against the stone. He's kind of being a dick. Yeah. But he's 15. And he's clearly got a lot of stress in his life. He's got a lot going on, so I kind of I give yeah, him a I lot more advise. a lot more leeway than I do Sword Douche. Mm-hmm. Sword Douche lived on his own in the cabin. Yes. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Anyways. Yes, but Pikachu, after the defeat of Pidgeotto. I think he calls Pidgeotto back. It doesn't even like faint, does he? No, no, it he does. He has a little spiral eyes. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Okay, I didn't remember. But at least in the case of Ash. When talking about type advantages, it seems very, very inexplicable that when Pikachu comes out, power enhancement or not, uh, Pikachu does manage to basically one-shot this Geodude, which... Yeah. I mean, you could make the case that Pidgeotto weakened it, but it seems... I mean, Pidgeotto kind of got his ass handed to him. Yeah, exactly. I, I sort of failed to see how Pikachu was going to be able to viably demonstrate his battle prowess over these rock Pokemon. I get that Pikachu is the icon of your series, but I feel that considering Ash's options, Pikachu would have been on the lower area. Oh. They could have demonstrated like, oh shoot, 
Pikachu is kind of my last resort sort of Hail Mary situation where you're trying to basically down to the last Pokemon trying to beat them. But and why not go with just three Pokemon since you have three Pokemon, Ash? Yeah, I don't really know. Like, why choose two and not use Butterfree? It's like Luckily, the show writers just wanted to demonstrate that flying was weak to rock. Yeah, that might have been an important distinction to make. But, all that aside, Pikachu does battle for a good bit and is able to defeat the Geodude pretty succinctly. And then, once Onyx is brought back up, it's once again Pikachu against Brock, in which the two are sort of in a similar bind as last time. Although this time, Pikachu letting out a more powerful version of Thunderbolt attack thanks to the power-up provided by Clint. Steroids. Flint, not Clint. And steroids. <laughs> yeah. Clint's steroids. Patent brand. Mm-hmm. Granny's flame steroids. Come on now, get yourself some flint. They'll cure everything from impotence to lupus. But luckily, uh, it turns out that the enhanced training worked because Pikachu is able to hold his own in terms of a fire shock against the Charizard. As what? Ah, oh, shoot, I'm tired. Fire shark of the Charizard. We're recording this thing very late. So. Remember, Pikachu held his own against the fire shock from the Charizard. I don't know why I'm yeah, okay. So with Pika- no fire or Charizard. But Pikachu manages to hold his own with a thunderbolt against the Onyx. There you go. As the in. electricity manages to fire up into the sprinkler system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause the little fires. You would think that a rock-based gym leader, knowing that there's probably going to be plenty of fire-type Pokemons, and knowing that he'd probably legally have to have sprinklers if he's going to be holding these battles indoors, would have his gym set outdoors. Yeah. So that this doesn't happen. Because I imagine this cannot be the first time this has ever happened. No. Like, there's got to be people showing up with, like, a Charmander and shit. And the second that Charmander's anything there's some smoke and there goes the sprinklers and you well you're both dead because it's a charmander yeah but still but i think it sort of does demonstrate uh we had to demonstrate that rock type was weak to water and mm. ash doesn't have a water type so this was the most realistic way to do it i suppose i i suppose so too yeah and the fact that it sort of presents a future trend that we're going to demonstrate with ash a lot of the future battles that we'll be seeing is Ash, even though he might not be the strongest trainer, he tends to battle a lot smarter and uses a lot of creative solutions in order to utilize... Called strategy. Pro- exactly, yeah. He's a strategist. He's not a powerhouse. He's a strategist. Yeah, I think so. I think that's and that's fair. So- and that strategy almost pays off, but before Ash is able to deliver the final blow, he finds himself interrupted. Well, he believes he's having a vision that all of Brock's younger brothers and sisters are stopping him from finishing this fight. Yes. And it's his conscience holding him back, and then Misty's like, open your eye, dum-dum. And <laughs> he opens his eyes. and Open your eyes, Brock- you boozer. <laughs> you boozer. And all of Brock's brothers and sisters are actually on him. How did they get down there so fast? Why is there no, like... <laughs> guard railing or something preventing them from doing this any of them could have ran onto the battlefield and died some of them are like four years old i mean i get the sense that they are extremely used to watching yeah 
It might be. You a would think they wouldn't be doing this because this can't be the first time Brock almost loses or does lose, and that they're saying, "Oh, we don't want to see Onyx get hurt." Like yeah, you don't have to see Onyx get hurt like a hundred times in a row. That's maybe, his job. Maybe it's because the sprinklers were an outlier. Maybe. Perhaps because of the sprinkler so felt and unfair. the effects that it had, it might have done a significant amount of more damage. Yeah, because I mean, being covered with water and then proceeded. To be shocked. Probably ain't fun. No, I doubt it is very fun. But with all that decided, he decides to concede. And Brock's like, all right, come get your badge. And Ash is like, no, I didn't earn it. And the sprinklers were an accident. I'll earn it on my own. And he walks off. And then Misty's like, you fucking idiot. Okay. I get a break. And there you Listen, go. Listen, Misty. I think Misty's the kind right of thing. A, no, I think Misty was kind of being a dick. Yeah. It's like, yeah, finally get a break, and there you go. It's like, oh, he did do the right thing. But no. at the same time, I think it would have been totally reasonable I for th- him to take the badge, because he did, like, I mean, he got more lucky in this, but I could see him doing that on purpose, too, and, like, getting the badge. Because Brock is the one who backed out first and, like, released him. Brock was the one who was backing down, and then he got screwed over because mm-hmm. he let his guard down. Yeah, exactly. So I think he, I, I think, think Ash he get... really did earn that badge fair and square, despite what a lot of people might say. Yeah, and despite what Brock and Misty might say, because, like I mentioned, it sort of demonstrates a more creative side with Ash. And I also think it demonstrates that there's a pretty underrated aspect to Ash when it comes to his battling, and it's that a lot of people underestimate him, and that usually ends up resulting in Ash leaving in some very unexpected victories. Uh-huh. No matter how underestimated Ash becomes, he always seems to have some sort of drive and impetus to succeed, and that drive and conviction in his actions usually results in him thinking outside of the box and trying to figure out ways to compensate for his lack of power, leading to interesting strategies and battles that really, in my mind, help to define uh, Pokemon as such a great and enjoyable series. So, lesson here is, uh, don't underestimate your opponent or a 10-year-old boy is going to kick your ass. (laughs) I think those are pretty wise words. Mm Mm-hmm. But... I think Brock sees that loose qualities. Not only is he seeing his empathy and his devotion to his Pokemon, also seeing how he took advantage of the sprinklers, I like to think that that gave him some sort of perspective uh-huh. about the trainers that he faced. Because in Brock's perspective before this, being just this bored teenager who was working a job that he barely liked, trying to care for all of his family and stuff like that, while also having to deal with the shadow of his abandoned father. Brock talks about how he doesn't want to be a Pokemon trainer, he wants to be a Pokemon breeder. And part Mm -hmm. of the reason why I think he does that is A, because of his nurturing side and his propensity for taking care of other people. He is a very codependent person in that regard. But also, the prospect of him having to live in the shadow of his father. He does not want to be like his dad. Exactly. I think Brock begins to identify with Ash, and I think that's what motivates Brock into giving Ash the first badge, a boulder badge. Mm Mm-hmm. And he says that he's giving it to him because Brock does believe that he won the battles fair and square. And not only does he do that, but Brock makes a request of Ash that 
as he goes on his Pokemon journey, he tries to become the very best trainer he possibly could be to make up for the lost dreams Brock has. He was never able to experience his childhood. He was never able to experience the wonder of journeying the world of Pokemon. He was never able to experience the sort of friendship that those sort of journeys offer. So when he meets Ash, I believe that he sees all of the things that he could have been were it not for all of the unfortunate circumstances that life brought him. And I think that's what makes Brock such a good friend to Ash. It's why he decides to give Ash the badge. It's why he decides that he wants to pursue a more nurturing side of Pokemon. And it also, I think, helps to show why the two have remained such good friends even after Misty and other people have left. And I think there are a lot of reasons why I like Brock, but I think this first introduction of his character is a really good demonstration of all of Brock's good qualities, because there are some certainly bad qualities within Brock that are to be displayed, but... We'll get to those. Oh, yes, we will get to those. But I think, at the very core, Brock is someone who wants to nurture others. Uh-huh. I think he's someone who just wants to try his best and to be as good of a caregiver as possible to make up for the terrible mistakes his own caregivers gave him. Yeah, getting all oh, deep yeah. character analysis Anyways, then we get to the big reveal at the end of the episode. Flint comes and is like, guess what, Brock? I'm your daddy. And takes his hat off and his fake beard. What? <laughs> Jesus. I, I'm flabbergasted. I'm shocked. I'm beside myself. You mean the guy who looked just like Brock but with a hat and a beard is his dad? The guy that strangely totally not shares the same voice actor sounds similar to Brock? It sounds like he's just an older man voice. Someone who shares the same theme of rocks? The only other person in the goddamn anime with those squinty eyes? Ugh! I feel like I just might shit myself in utter surprise. Please of don't. those facts. Please don't. I will not. We share I, an apartment. <laughs> don't worry about it. I'm not, <laughs> not going to do that. But luckily, because of Flint. Flint comes and like, I'm back. I'll take care of the kids. You go. It's Which, like, okay, strange old man who I barely Yeah, that seems like a pretty... From the kid's perspective. I mean... I mean, he's 15, so I guess I can see him jumping at this opportunity. But at the same time... Someone yeah. who's supposed to be super responsible. Interestingly enough, Brock is so understanding about this. Maybe this is partially because Brock is a generally more empathetic person, but before uh, Flint gives his blessing to let him go off on the Pokemon journey, Brock is all like, there's one thing I have to say to you. And, and f- like, okay, I get it. You've had a lot. You're holding in. Yeah. Let me have it. Yeah, so and Flint's totally say? expecting, expecting Brock- like. To go chew to, him out. Go to hell. How dare you? You were never there for me. Which a bunch of serious stuff be, like, oh, mom's death is your fault or something. Which really he would totally... Like yeah, which he, in many respects, accept. would be totally justified of feeling. Those are very, very valid emotions Flint's to be coming prepared. out of a very shitty situation. Flint's just like, alright, I deserve this. Let me have it. 
But then Brock is like, no, he takes even the highest road imaginable and just starts telling him how he needs to care for all of his ten brothers and sisters. The twins don't like the bays. Uh, what's her face always rips her dress, so you gotta learn how to sew. That this guy needs his dinner by this time. He has that sort of stuff planned, and I think something that I really love is that he has those sort of details memorized verbatim, something that he can easily list out to the point where Flint's like, "God, slow down! I gotta write this all down." Jesus, it's like, I would rather you just chew me out. Oh my god, <laughs> which. Doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence, but I, I like well, to think that well, Flint turned gonna out to be. He's going to have to learn. He'll yeah. learn. He'll get there. I'm sure but, he will. Uh, I feel like just any time in the future where we're going to say bad stuff about Brock and something stupid he does, because that's going to come up. We should have to think back to this very first episode with yeah. him in it and kind of think, all right, excusable. Yeah, because... To an extent. Because I feel like this first episode does a whole lot to really establish the core of who Brock is. And we we didn't really touch upon this, but Brock talks about how his whole bag isn't really Pokemon battling, but he prefers the process of raising mm-hmm. and breeding Pokemon. And I realize... A caregiver. Yeah. People, I realize people like to make the joke of like, Ooh, I like to make Pokemon breed. <laughs> but I feel like it comes out of a more innocent place, a more mm-hmm. a more core desire to... I feel like he doesn't want to make Pokemon fuck necessarily. No. He wants to raise baby Pokemon into like their adulthood. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty admirable yeah. trait within him. Anything else before the end? Uh, well, at the very end, we get to see Team Rocket once again. They're finally getting themselves out of the hole, I believe. Yep. They've been there for two days. Two days, just starving underwater. I would love to know what they were subsisting on. Not underwater. I will will also say that I kind of love how Ash and Brock seem to hit it off pretty nice as travel companions. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, it's finally, it's great to finally have someone to talk to on this. Which? What about that... Girl who keeps following you. It's like, I feel like at this point they would have been established more as friends and not just she's following them. But yeah, like, Ash, you've been at this for like two weeks. You ate dinner with her. You've spent at the very least, considering that the first episode, Pokemon I Choose You, takes place over the course of about a day. Yeah, no, it's like two weeks. Actually, no, Pokemon I Choose You and Pokemon Emergency, those theoretically take place within the same day. Because mm-hmm. that's fair. Misty has been pretty much a part of Ash's Pokemon journey since day one, uh, and he is just so dismissive. Like, really, Ash? You're a dick. Yeah, come on, Misty. You deserve better than fought this. Fought with you against Team Rocket. Mm-hmm. I mean, sort of. I mean, sort of. There. Yeah, they. I mean, granted, if the writers actually let Misty have the opportunity to actually battle her Pokemon, but we'll get there. Well, we will get there. But yeah, Ash, best Pokemon side up. Mm-hmm. But Misty reminds him, "Don't forget, Ash Ketchum. I'm still holding you accountable for my bike." And Ash's first instinct is, come on, Pikachu, let's run away so we can yeah. lose her. Like, that's gonna work. Let's run in a straight line, even though she's probably in better shape than us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. As they're running away, Team Rocket emerges as they all step on their faces. 
Serves them right, honestly. But oh, they've been in a hole for two days. Yeah, when they come out, they get stepped on. I guess you could say they really hit rock bottom. Ah! Okay, <laughs> we were both on that one. Sorry. Everybody. I mean, they. To be fair, they also said that joke. Oh, in the episode, yeah. I, I thought of that on my own. I didn't think of that. There we go. Well, <laughs> great minds and all that. Oh, yeah. But the episode ends as Ash, Brock, and Misty head deeper into the Kanto region as they truly begin their journey as possibly one of the most iconic trios in television. Yeah, oh my god. So sad when they finally break up. Yeah, I... Because I gotta say, I just love... Their dynamic. We'll definitely be getting into this more. I remember more. that was like the first time any TV show had any major change for me because I was still so little and they were like, oh, Ash, Brock, and Misty are breaking up. But I just remember being a kid and thinking, they can't do that. Hmm. No. We'll definitely be discussing <laughs> like, no. Ash, Brock, and Misty. And they did. Yeah, I I cried. I, I'll freely admit, I cried. The only I other heard. time I was that sad is when they canceled iCarly. <laughs> Don't question me. It's a good show. I mean, it is a good show. It's a good show. I love that, Carly. Yeah. And they canceled it. They're like, Aww. oh, you're Sam and Cat. And I was like, fuck this. I like our Carly and Victoria's. And they're like, those are both gone now. You're Sam, Sam and Cat. We took like the t- two of the more popular ones from TV shows. And now they got their own show. It'll be twice as popular. It's like, no, that's not how that works. I feel like we're touching a weird nerve within you right now. We are. It's a weird nerve. We should move on. We've been going. I I honestly kind of love the weird tangents we're going on today. But like I said before, we'll see definitely a lot more of this dynamic. But I think starting off, this is a pretty fun beginning between Ash, Brock, and Misty's dynamic. Which we will see more of in the next episode, Clefairy and the Moonstone, originally aired on May 6, 1997 and September 15, 1998. This episode will be obviously featuring Clefairy, but it's the first I would hope meal. so, otherwise that's one hell of a just a 180 on the <laughs> part. Fair enough, fair enough. But this is the first of many episodes where we really get to see this sort of dynamic established between Ash, Misty, and Brock. And I think this is a pretty good uh, beginner to that sort of dynamic. So... Mm-hmm. Okay, so we open up onto uh, Mount Moon. There's a mountain basically yep. named after the Moonstone. Mm-hmm. As uh, the narrator mentions that there are a lot of strange and powerful Pokemon that live in Mount Moon as Ash, Misty, and Brock start heading there. You gotta say, they make Mount Moon seem a lot more appealing than it does in the games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But... Anyways, they find uh, some poor man being under attack by a bunch of Zubats. Yes! And this is just something that we've got to discuss immediately. This scientist is voiced by the same... He's a- voiced by Meowth. He's 100% has to be voiced by Meowth. It sounds no, it's the same voice like actor. Him. Are we 100% certain on that? Yes. You've uh, looked it up? I'm very, very certain. Okay, because, oh my god. if It, it is an utter likeness to it, and it, it feels... It just sounds like Meowth doing a voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was half expecting this him is to something... take his mask off halfway through and be like, Aha, it was me the whole time. Yeah, this yeah. is something that definitely occurs as time goes on, but you'll find a lot of characters that Save are... Save money. 
Yeah, no, that is a pretty common practice within a lot of cartoons. If you have like, if you have a character that's only there for like one episode, you'll usually just like ask one of your current voice actors to try and just do another voice. And Meowth having probably the most nasally voice, they're probably like, oh, he'd probably be a good scientist voice. He'll sound nerdy. Yeah, exactly. But Pikachu immediately attacks the Zubat, causing them to flee within the cave. And the scientist is just... Seymour the scientist. Seymour the scientist, who is just... Seymour. Sorry. (laughs) It's a great musical. Oh, it's so great. I was in it. I know. You were the dentist, right? Yes, I was. Yeah. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. Mm Mm-hmm. But Seymour the scientist is just so excited and happy that Ash saved him that he just rhymes about how thankful he is to yeah, him. He's not just a scientist, he's a goddamn poet. Yeah, it's it's honestly a really weird uh character trait that they add to him. I mean it is pretty original, because it would seem pretty easy to just make a standard nerdy scientist that might have been condescending, but Oddly enough, this scientist seems a lot different from the stereotypical very, scientist and sort of being more sensitive and... Very poetic, very caring, very yeah. very musical. In fact, he reminds me a lot of you. I don't know how to feel about that. A compliment. Thank you. I, I'll take <laughs> like it I can see you like portraying the scientist very well. Oh. You being a very intelligent yet caring person. Oh. You got my blushing now. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, mercy me, I do declare. <laughs> but also another awkward. No, sorry. Uh, I mean, you're <laughs> not lying there. So, <laughs> but another weird thing about the scientist is that unlike other side characters, this is like the first major side character that doesn't actively condescend to Ash Ketchum. Oh yeah, good point. Maybe that's why I don't hate him immediately. Yeah, because. I mean, then again, he does sort of, like, save his skin from all those Zubat. But at the same time, I feel like even if... He literally praises Ash. He's like, you're my hero. Yeah, but I I get the sense that even if he wasn't in trouble, I feel like... He still would have been a chill dude. Yeah, he probably still would have been like, oh, cool, you have a Pikachu. Oh, it looks in such good strength. You're a Pokemon trainer. Yeah. awesome. Like, that sort of enthusiasm is you know, stuff that I love. He's a scientist, lo- and the amount of probably schoolwork and shit he had to go through to get that degree would make a lot of people, like, self-entitled to it and be like, I'm better than you. you no, know, he's like, you're 10 years old and you have a Pikachu? That's awesome! Yeah. More people in academia should be like that. Mm-hmm. More people outside academia should be like that. More people should be like that. Yeah, exactly. Don't be a dick. We can truly learn a lot from Seymour the Scientist. Mm -hmm. As they're talking with Seymour the Scientist, uh, Seymour notes that the reason why he was attacked by Zubats is that there are a series of mysterious floodlights Mm -hmm. within the cave system of Mount Moon. The cave is being ravaged by what they call attackers, basically trying to look for this almost mystical, legendary, maybe not even real moonstone within Mount Moon, protected by the Clefairies. Yes, because it is said that long ago, a group of aliens traveled to Earth on the Moonstone. And it is Seymour's life goal to try and see the Moonstone and the Clefairy so that he too can go into space. Which... Gotta have um, dreams. Gotta have dreams, true. It's a hell of a dream. 
Mm-hmm. I do kind of like raise my eyebrow because fringe scientists that sort of just live in the mountains by themselves wanting to be with the aliens. Usually not the best uh, scientists. Usually, Usually, yeah. Not very well respected in their field. It does make me, I don't think this is... Question his standings. Yeah, I don't think this is what they were going for, but I, I do sincerely hope that they weren't that Seymour is an actual scientist and not, like, just a... a crazy man out yeah. in the mountains. Uh, I mean, his characterization would kind of justify I mean, he's that. he's very eccentric. Yeah, he's eccentric. But then again, there are plenty of academics that are like that as well. But yeah. they decide to head off into the cave system to try to find these mysterious attackers. As they do so, they note a Clefairy holding a moonstone just... Walking around in the tunnel system. Yeah, yeah, this legendary, impossible to find moonstone, Clefairy, just holding a moonstone, walks by. Like, what up, bitches, later. Yeah. So, like, oh, what the fuck? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I forgot to mention that. Not only does Seymour mention that the uh, floodlights are detrimental to the Zubat, but he also seems to take great care in terms of how Mount Moon's ecosystem is in general. Mm-hmm. He notes how the sand slash are too hot from the heat provided by these lamps. And he also talks about how the Paris are planting the mushrooms on their head. Mm-hmm. Which seems like a very interesting note. Like, you don't really see that in the games much, but I mean, yeah, Paris do have their detachable fungi that they sort of just, like, take off and regrow often. Which mm-hmm. is an interesting detail. But Seymour talks about how it's their goal to try and protect the Moonstone, which is where they end up seeing the Clefairy. Clefairy just randomly is like, oh, okay. Leave Team Rocket shows up next. As soon as they start following Clefairy, they do encounter Team Rocket as they once again let out the motto. And even though this is like only the fourth time they really encountered the motto, mm-hmm. I kind of love how they're... They immediately just kind of call out, Hey, this is kind of a waste of time. And to which Team Rocket gets super defensive of. I believe one of them doesn't, just in casual conversation, one of them says like the word trouble. Mm -hmm. And so I believe Jesse or James jumps out and is like, And make it double. I mean, they saw an opportunity. (laughs) They went for it. That's showmanship. Mm -hmm. Gotta respect that. But... After they let out the, after they let out the motto, much to the chagrin of everyone mm-hmm. having to look, witness them, except for myself because I can watch it a hundred times in a row and not get bored. Yeah, that's I love fair. It. But Misty is asked to take Clefairy and run away, even though, even though it should be the other way. Yeah, because it's like, hey, maybe you take the Clefairy and run away, Ash, and let Misty. Back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also got- I. Th- Brock with you now, too, who is a very capable trainer. Yeah. I mean, I think this is also mainly to demonstrate oh, Brock has Pokemon because mm-hmm. as soon as the battle begins, Brock brings out his newest Pokemon, a Zubat, which Brock managed Caught to catch before they went in, the, which we did not see at all. Yeah, which I'm surprised none of them caught that. Like, come on. Just, oh, maybe Brock, oh, he's such a good trainer he could catch Pokemon without you even seeing. It could be. Like, that, watch out. that would make sense, but I, I do kind of love that Ash is like, uh, the best I w- Pokemon to go with considering finding some villains. Like, 
Maybe not the Pokemon you caught two seconds ago, Brock. Yeah, that's true. However... Although he's capable enough, I guess he knows the moveset and everything. Yes, because as soon as Jesse and James let out uh, Coughing and Ekans, Brock hits them with a supersonic attack, causing them to become... Confused and entangled with one another. Which is like one of the very few instances where we actually see status effects in yeah. Pokemon anime. Like, they do sometimes allude to poison as a status effect and other stuff like that, but aside from that, this is like the one few times that I actually remember confusion being an actual problem in battle, which you'd think they would like utilize more to escalate like the tension of these battles, but... Well, they can't paralyze Pikachu. That's electric true. type. No, but, like, they could utilize confusion. Because mm -hmm. I know there are plenty of Pokemon moves that do stuff like that. But... In a way, they you could say, oh, they anytime Coffin uses his, like, smoke screen and stuff, that's lowering Pikachu's accuracy because he has no idea where they are. And they're just yeah. Like, ah. That's sort of true, but it is very different from the other status conditions. Like... Realized, mm -hmm. burned, poisoned, stuff like that. Yeah, apparently almost no burned. I yeah, like I would see paralyzed. I feel like that's happened. I mean, burned, burned is never. Both burned and frozen are very rarely used status effects, even in the games. Like I mm. can't even remember the last time I needed to use like an ice or burn heal. Well, yeah, because usually those things I mean, could like be. Just usually so such a weak amount that it's not going to affect you before you get to the Pokemon Center. And and in the newer games, like I know before, if you were poisoned or burned after you were out of the battle, it still affected your Pokemon. Mm -hmm. But now it doesn't. Yeah. As far as I remember, it doesn't affect them at all. Mm. You just go to a Pokemon Center or just switch them out with someone else. Okay then. But because of that confusion, Team Rocket is blasting off. Mm-hmm. Not again, but... This time, Team Rocket blasted off. I have that written down, so I'm guessing they said something like that. No, they literally said, Oh, looks like Team Rocket's blasting off. Oh. No again. Just blasting off. Okay. However, Meowth wasn't with them, because he snuck off during the fight. To yeah. To chase down that Clefairy. Mm-hmm. He's outside, basically. Well, Misty's trying to help the Clefairy and Pikachu. I mean, and Meowth decides to uh, try to fucking murder Clefairy. Yeah, he straight like, up was like, well, I'm, I know I'm trying to get the stone from you, but I guess I'm going to push you off this goddamn cliff. Yes, which makes me call into question, Meowth, what is your end goal here? So you're clearly, this Clefairy is taking you to the Moonstone. If you were to follow it, you could gain intel easily and you could find a viable position to find the Moonstone so that you could steal it. Nah, murder. Yeah, like, you just pushes buddy. him off a cliff. It's not even that big of a cliff, because there's no, just a little river No, because it lands it in the water like and it seems fine. Lands in the water actually helps him regroup with, like, Misty and Pikachu. And it's like, oh, well, I guess you fucked up there, Meowth. Yeah, that and it is especially useful for Misty, Misty. because... Misty finally gets the battle. Yes, as she brings out a star you and fucks up Meowth big time. Not using the water gun, Meowth becomes basically inflated yeah, with the yeah, water, which yeah. thus inflation porn was born on that. No, night. it was someone was someone, a, something, someone something. was awoken on the day they watched that episode. They were like, "I really like this scene for some reason. I I'm don't know proud. why." 
I mean, not to kink shame anyone here at Goldenrod Radio. Kinks are fun, just don't tell us about it. Don't post it on like your public social media. Yeah. People I see. We don't want to hear about how you love Vor. Just stop and think, like, oh. Would you tell your grandma this? Yeah, would you tell your grandma? Well, then again, some grandmas are shitty. If this was normal sexual stuff, like, would I post it on Facebook? If the answer is no, like, no, because it's normal sexual stuff, then don't post your kink stuff on there either. You know who you are. Yeah. No. Gotta keep it a little profesh. A little bit at least. God damn. <laughs> Sorry. Had a nerve there. You're fine. Sorry. I just, there's people on social media that I'm like, I gotta block you. <laughs> I gotta like put your stuff on. Like, I don't want to see this. Like, we're friends in high school. I get this is who you are now, but fuck. If you ever want to. Show us your furry profile. Please Be don't. sure to email us at goldenrodradio no. at gmail.com. No. <laughs> no. Don't email us at any of that. We don't <laughs> want to see it. It's yours. That's fine. But I don't want to see it. All right. All right. Fair enough. All right. Anyway, but with Meow disposed of, uh, the group is able to recuperate. And Brock brings out his signature Pokemon food. Which, I gotta say, growing up, they either reminded me of, like, sort of dog food, but crossed with, like, chocolate. Yeah, that's kind of what I always thought. They look like dry dog food. There was always always these little cylinder dry piece of dog food. It just looks like a really big version of one of those that's maybe a tad softer. Yeah. That's what it looks like. God, it makes me hungry kind of thinking about it, which is really weird. It doesn't do that for me. I I see that as, like, dog food. That doesn't look appetizing at all. I'm just like no, but I, I get I get that seeing something on TV or some kind of cartoon food and being like, oh. yeah, that's a pretty common effect with me. But after speaking with Clefairy for a little bit, mm-hmm. Pikachu decides to up and bolt and follow Clefairy to the Moonstone. Yeah, Clefairy's like, hey, follow me. And Pikachu's like, oh shit, uh, guys, follow me. And everyone's like, oh shit, follow follow yeah. the two Pokemon who we don't know where they're going. And eventually, they come across a small cave uh, hidden in the woods, and inside there is a what appears to be a large crater. Which, if uh, the idea that the Moonstone was a meteor, this is probably where it landed. It's a big ass rock, and it's the Moon Rock meteor thing that the stone came off. Yeah. Of. It does make me call into question, like, what must the Moon be like in terms of its Ooh. mineral composition? In terms of well, who's to say it came? Off of the moon. That's just what the people call it, the moonstone. It could be a meteor That's from true. anything. It could be from like a comet or something. Just being like that. that makes yeah. sense. We just call or it a spaceship. As... The Clefairies pray to the moonstone. Basically, yeah. they dance around it, and we have this little uh, charade scene between Ash and Pikachu. They're like, "What are they doing?" It's like, eventually, it's like, "Oh, they're praying to it." Yeah, it takes a while. Ash is not good yeah, at because... God, can I just say my favorite thing is when Pikachu is gesturing and saying like, when they're congregating around the meteor, they Pikachu's gesturing, and Ash is like, they do the Macarena! <laughs> to which Pikachu's like, do the Macarena. God, where hey, Macarena. Way to freaking date your late 90s animated program. It's a joke I would make. Maybe that, That's fair. Maybe that dates me on my age. I mean, what would be more... 
what would be a better example of him doing a dated joke? Oh, saying hammer time. Oh, okay. yeah, that would be very... That would be dated. Never mind. That would be dated. Yeah, it I could have been so I feel like that could have ended up being dated, but I don't know. I feel like it's still kind of prevalent, so just, Macarena yeah. just ended up standing I mean, the test of time. you'd be remiss to find a, a drunken wedding reception that doesn't have the Macarena happen at some point. Although they're the best ones. <laughs> Happily ever after, motherfucker. Yeah. Anyways, the Kofiris are capable of religion, so that's cool. I mean... That's not horrifying thought I, at all. It does. It's a little scary. I mean, we do sort of come into... Burn uh, the non-believer! It isn't, like, Much necessarily the first time we dealt with the more spiritual elements of Pokemon. Like, consider that yeah, but conversation the... between Caterpie and Pikachu. What about it? Well... They're just Pokemon talking. They are talking, but the idea of... They're more intelligent than they lit on. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're yeah. having, like, these conversations about, like, evolution and their desires and their hopes and dreams. Like, and They I think know that's... what's going on. Yeah. And I think... Oh, that's kind of... Oh, that's creeping me out a little now. Well, like, I... Oh, God, they're all capable of religion. They know what's happening. Well, They're not just animals. I, it, it honestly is a bit more of a comforting statement to me because it makes the idea of people and Pokemon peacefully coexisting together feel a lot more like an achievement because if these are Pokemon that can have these autonomous thoughts and have so much personal agency like they'd be the and yet species. still devote themselves to this element of friendship with people that are weaker but at the same time... Well, you know what? You know what? Why? They ain't got opposable thumbs. They can't open the doors. Well... Ha-ha! Well, if we're going Checkmate, to... Pokemon! <laughs> Checkmate. We can open stuff. Of course, half of them can break the door down. Or burn it down. Uh, or water it down. Or grass it down. Or make it not exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, that could be a possibility. Oh, Jesus. But this is how I've sort of come to read the relationship between Pokemon. Like I said before, I like to believe that Pokemon sort of view human companionship similar to how dogs view human companionship as an yeah. evolutionary gaining. And I think the reason why Pokemon end up feeling drawn to humans is because unlike Pokemon, humans tend to be able to think of more creative solutions and be a bit more creative and ingenious in the ways that they go about battling and raising Pokemon. Pokemon aren't strategists. Yeah, exactly. Ash most is a strategist. Like most Pokemon tend to work on their most base instincts. If this is my strongest attack, I'ma do this again and again until it works. And I think this idea of Ash being as good as he is because he's able to empathize with Pokemon, I think it shows a pretty good lesson about learning to understand others, learning how to make yourself a more understanding person. And I think it's a very nice, subtle lesson to teach to kids, which I think makes the show all the better. Man, I'm getting surprisingly philosophical about this. Yeah, this is kind of, I feel like both of them, both of these episodes got a bit deeper than we expected yeah, them to go. Yeah, which I, I'm kind of loving the fact that they're doing it, but all this sort of philosophical waxing is going to be interrupted as soon as T-Market once again interrupts with the motto, which is just like... Okay, it's a bit redundant at this you point. You did it. You do it once per episode, Team Rocket. Come on. Yeah. We all love it. More than once it gets stale. Come on. Gotta keep it fresh. Yeah. Fresh as fruit. Nail it. Leave that in. <laughs> Leave <laughs> that in so people know. Fresh as fruit. So people know what I'm working with it now. 
freshest fruit. Listen, after I went on that whole philosophical <laughs> tangent, I think I can have a brain fart like that. Mm -hmm. Alright, but before they were able to stop, uh, Coughing does a smog attack, yeah. causing them to obscure the area. And, and Team Rocket basically takes off with the giant ass rock, like, real quick. Wait, by digging a, a hole, Digging no a less. hole, and then we find out later they even have, like, a fucking pallet under the rock. Like, where did they get this? When did they make it? Did they dig this hole previously? They couldn't have done that because they didn't know where it was. So what? Spe I mean, like they're, in the last episode, the like, way they're that... good. They don't get enough credit. They can dig a, one hell of a hole and build a pallet in like two seconds. That's true. They should I mean, work for a construction job. What are they doing with Team Rock? Yeah, that they does... could do. They could make a fortune. They could build a house God, in like imagine, ten minutes. Imagine landscaping possibilities with like James and two, Jesse's design sensibilities. Three oh like, my god. Like, those, oh they God. would kick a bunch of landscaping ass. It's too late to let them know. I mean, only time will tell, but... You guys, as they, we've got an idea. Stop stealing Pokemon, you can make a fortune. But before they were able to get away with Moonstone, Onyx, like a beast... That's goddamn boss. ...emerges from the ground, Tremors God style, and completely fun. just decimates them. Yeah, they ain't going nowhere. That comes out of nowhere. And, Onyx is badass. And before Ash and Misty and Brock are able to confront Team Rocket, the Clefairy do a mysterious move. One of the greatest moves in the whole game, Metronome. I'll Which, be honest, I never really used that move. In the game. Do you know what Metronome does? It does basically everything. It does anything. It is a random thing. You use it and any goddamn Pokemon move in existence could happen. It's just completely random. And there's about 30 of these Clefairies out here all using Metronome at the same time at Team Rocket. God, the sheer... Run! God, the sheer massive probability of it's chances. Possible it's like rolling all... an infinity dice. And like having... Basically, this incomprehensible, unlikely event happened. It, you know what it reminds me of? In The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there was the improbability drive, which was how the spaceship was able to move around, in mm -hmm. which it basically creates the most unlikely scenario, and it creates energy from that. Apologies to Douglas Adams if I'm botching that, but like... I haven't seen that movie in forever. Or the book? Yeah. This is good. I need to see. I want to watch it again. Okay. Movie. 42. Another tangent. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie. It's actually super good, and really all is. you fanboys who complain about it not being true to the book, you go kiss my butt. People complain about the movie? It, I don't. Yeah, it's dumb. Fuck you. It's a good movie. It's yeah. a good movie. Anyway, so because of this sheer mass improbability, we don't even get to see what happens. All we know is that Team Rocket just... Everything happens. We I... don't want to know what happens. It's, it was completely possible that every Clefairy used, like, just kind of... Would have just had, like, a weak move or, like, a buff move. But with 30 of them, the chances are high. One of those is, like, a hyper beam. Oh, shit. One that of those is a probably a hyper beam. I think it was a good decision to do the little cutaway thing where we just see this... Blast. Yeah. Just Honestly, blast. this is kind of something that they tend to... They do a lot in these early episodes. They did that with this episode. In the last episode, they did that after they did the power-up sequence with the hydroelectric plant. Yes. Then they did that with that the long. Pokemon Center we blowing up in Pokemon Emergency. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. But... Well, this time I wasn't Pikachu blowing something up. 
Yeah. One rare instance where other Pokemon do the dirty work. Clefairy. Fuck. God. Yeah. Clefairy is like the powerhouse, too. Mm -hmm. Clefairy's a goddamn... But with this improbable energy... So are chances. At long... At long last, Team Rocket flies off as they exclaim... Blast off again! Okay, I was gonna say that. That's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine. You but, know I've been waiting for it. Team yeah. Rocket blasts off again. Yeah. We finally get that in this episode. Yep. And unfortunately, though, this blast seems to shatter the Moonstone into a thousand little pieces. But luckily, something interesting happens. Clefairies evolve because of a moonstone in the game. Yep. So, all these little moonstones basically evolve a bunch of the Clefairies into Clefables. Yep. Not all of them. I feel like some of them kind of yeah, got dicked over. Yeah, it's a bit selective. They're like, kind of like, well, shit, goddammit, Gary. I wanted to be a Clefable, and you fucking caught it before me. You know I wanted it forever, and Gary's like, well, what up, man? That's why I imagine the conversation would go down. Yeah, I it's bet. Like, sucks to suck. Ugh. Sucks to suck, Daryl. God damn it, Gary. Screw you, Janice. Anyway. Did you hear Janice? She, she became a fucking fable. She got one. Oh, that bitch. <laughs> I wanted that. I was there. I went to the prank sessions like three times as much as her. That Bitch. <laughs> oh God, we're I going in I so many all weird directions so with this episode. I want all the fairies to be super sassy. Oh, I'm sure super they are sassy. more than super sassy. <laughs> so, but eventually, Seymour. Yeah, you're now. That real cool, Janice. Whatever. God. Thought you were all like, I'm so comfortable in my skin, but I saw you <laughs> jumping for that moonstone. Oh my god, we are so close to being done. We gotta finish <laughs> okay. up. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. All right. But Clefable and the Clefairy begin to uh, dance around again this new pile of moonstone as Seymour explains that he is going to stay with the Clefairy and he hopes to. How's he gonna eat? <laughs> He was presumably hanging around Mount Moon for a while, so I'm yeah. sure he has something figured out. Maybe he's just a crazy old man. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him, but he's... I, I like to think that there's yeah. a little more sincerity behind him. But He's well-groomed. Yeah, he's not, like, gross or anything. Uh, I, I can say, hanging around some scientist people, some can kind of neglect their personal health. What's that supposed to mean? I mean... Scientists? Yes, computer. <laughs> I'm speaking more in terms of the people who devote themselves to medical science and stuff. I know there are computer scientists who are that bad too. Oh yes, trust me. Yeah, trust me. I know what you mean. Mm -hmm. It's like take a shower like once a week at least. God damn. But fucking obviously but, take a shower more than once a week, please. But some of these people, they would just do that at least. You know who you are. Mm-hmm. But eventually, after the group says their goodbyes to Seymour, they come across a fork in the road, and on one of the signs it says, Celadon City, home of the Celadon City Gym. And something about Misty makes her feel reluctant to talk about the Celadon City Gym. And we see a note on the sign. Gary was here, Ash is a loser. I gotta say, I love this constant reinforcement of Gary's Gary being dick. the worst. Yeah, it's enough for Ash to just freaking book it. Mm. He's been through a lot these past couple of hours, but it's he gets like his second win and he just starts booking it off to Cerulean City. And we end off the episode with both 
Misty and Brock. Sort of beleaguered at the prospect of hanging around Ash, but still, I still love how they're still, like, intrigued by him. <laughs> if that's a way to describe it. And the episode ends off as Misty and Pikachu look on as Ash journeys deeper into the world of Pokemon. Alright, and that was our two episodes. So, turns out, we had a lot more to say about this. Yeah. I, I honestly <laughs> kind of loved it. So, yeah. Richard, what did you think yeah. of the first episode, Peter City Challenge? Ah, uh, I mean, it had Brock in it, so I love yeah. that, obviously. This is one of my two favorite characters in the whole series. Okay, yeah, I can totally understand that. I do really, really like how they sort of set up a lot of the basic characteristics of Brock that will become very integral as the series goes on. I feel like one of the most basic characteristics we have yet to see. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, we'll <laughs> we will definitely get there. He's 15, it's excusable to, and for the most part. For the most part. I also kind of like this sort of buildup of the Pokemon gym battles, even though it seems pretty subdued in terms of how they go about it, it, there's still something fun and interesting about witnessing a gym battle. So, I guess, moving on to Teferi and the Moonstone, do you have any other thoughts about that? I know we uh, have. It is nice to have an episode with a side character I don't immediately hate. Yes! Did you hate Flint? I wasn't a huge fan of Flint. I wouldn't say I hate him not as much as Sword who She is like uh, number one hater. Oh yeah, no, but there's Flint, kind of a dick. I mean, he was a dick to Ash at first, and like we all also find out that he was Brock's fucking dad, who was also a dick, good for nothing guy who kind of left home and didn't come back forever. I didn't hate him. Uh, I didn't hate his character, but I don't much like him as a person, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I too also was a pretty big fan of Seymour and his characterization. And I also really liked how uh, Ash, Misty, and Brock are sort of beginning to build this sort of rapport. Their banter is still not really all the way there yet, but I feel like it's definitely leading to a lot of good setup for that sort of stuff. And I, I gotta admit, it's, it's pretty nice to see a pretty simple, straightforward Team Rocket scheme and having the simple plot of, like, stopping it. It doesn't get, mm -hmm. as we'll see in the series later, some of Team Rocket's scenes, uh... Get a little complicated. They get a little overcomplicated, much to their own detriment, which, I don't know, It, I guess it, this sort of shows that at the very beginning stages of the show, they didn't feel too pressured to make things constantly fresh and new, which, mm -hmm. that's the sort of pressure you have to face when you're making any long-form creation that will be, like, serialized for over like 10 years nearly 20 years so. yeah and you never know when you first start out how long this series is gonna go and it's like oh it's real popular and you're like oh shit mm -hmm. i got like two years worth of ideas time yeah. to brainstorm yeah i think that's a pretty good place to end off right now uh -huh. so thank you one and all for tuning in and listening to this show. If you like what we do, be sure to follow us on Twitter and on Tumblr. Uh, Tumblr is goldenrodcityradio.tumblr.com and follow us on Twitter at The Pokey Bros Show. Or you can listen to us on SoundCloud or on iTunes or on Google Play. For iTunes, just go to bit.ly slash iTunes. 
or for Google, uh, bit.ly slash pokebrosgoogle. So be sure to listen to our stuff wherever you can, and we hope you are enjoying. But for now, we're going to be ending off this episode once again with our Pokemon music segment. This week, we are going to be listening to a remix of the Mount Moon theme titled Wet Dreams. Once again, it's courtesy of Overclocked Remix, uh, from the remixer known as Sock Puppets. What was it called? Wet Dreams. Say that one more time. Wet Dreams. <laughs> All right. But we hope you enjoy listening. You know what to- we mean. <sighs> yeah. So we hope you enjoyed listening to this. Thank you one and all. My name is Henry Kathman. And I'm Richard Bowman. We'll smell you later. <laughs> <laughs>